Hello people, welcome back to the podcast. Sometimes I come away from conversations very much enlightened and I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders and this conversation was one of those. These are mostly selfish. I'll, I'm so interested in therapy, so interested in how therapy affects people and how it helps people and just the methods behind therapy so it's stuff I read about it's stuff I, I listen to podcasts about and I'm j- I engross myself in this sort of thing so to have someone teach me about all the different methods that a therapist would use and why is like one of my favorite things to do so today we had Jen on and Jen is a therapist who often takes her clients on hikes during their sessions. And when I think about when I've went on hikes with friends, they have felt like therapy sessions. Um, So to actually do that with someone qualified, I can imagine that being just such a... And I've never thought about it before. So that's why I wanted to get her on. Literally just that. I'd just seen... She does therapy sessions outdoors, and I was like, I'm interested. I want to know. And I think people that listen to my podcast podcast would want to know. So, yeah, I'm not going to bore you with any other nonsense. It was an erratic conversation, and I would just like to let you enjoy it. So, enjoy. So, the first thing that I want to start with, because it was the reason I wanted to get you on, was what made you start, like, exploring, doing outdoor therapy sessions it's hard to answer it with a short answer you're not going to do short answers it's fine you can i'm going to try be better at like shutting up sometimes anyway so okay go for it so when did it start i think it connects with the reason that i became a therapist in the first place and my own personal experiences around that and then my own connection with nature and being outdoors and so yeah, it's all wrapped up in that. Um, personally, it came from learning about the joy of being in nature. So how did I start? Because it's such a complex history. Um, so I've ran for a long, long time. And at points in my life, I have been injured. And so there was one point where I got injured where it completely stopped my ability to run. And I realised that I'd been running away from a lot of things in my life and I didn't have running to keep doing that anymore. And so I was forced to sit with how I felt and, and begin Which to is process sometimes isn't fun, is it? When you've never, you don't realise how you feel. Right, right. And so I got stuck with that for a few months um, and then I began to slowly process it. And so kind of the background around that is I've always done youth work and community work and, and helping people and probably for a long time not fully helping myself. And so the injury was that first point of, I've actually got to process a lot of my own stuff. What was the injury? Um, Achilles tendon rupture um, that I ran on, ran a half marathon on, to the point where only runners, full long distance runners will get this, that I changed the shoes that I was wearing and just loosened the the laces (laughs) and my, my Achilles was swollen and I just ran a half marathon on it. So I was really in the depths of running away from everything, and but also it wouldn't. Have it took like you that. years to realize that you were running, like because you say that, and it flows so nice as like a yeah. 
start to a podcast I'm like oh running away from your problems but yeah. it took you years to sort of yeah. figure that out yeah I mean physically running away from mental stuff right and and processing it and the points where running helps you deal with it at points so you don't feel like you're you're dealing with a lot until you can't run and so that links in with outdoor therapy because it's not the thing that's the issue it's your relationship to the thing and so when I was injured um and I, re- I had my first period of depression and worked through that move to Orkney. So we were just talking about that. I moved to Orkney and connected with nature again. And so I worked in Orkney and I took my tent and Orkney surrounded by wee islands. And so I just... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you took a tent? Up to you living out of ten. I was living there. No, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I was no. like, well, I don't want to get any injuries. <laughs> no, I was because I have started there. running, so no, it wasn't as bad as that. And I think the injury was slowly dissipating at that point. But I knew, the, I knew that this is a big long answer. But I knew I needed a change. You know, sometimes where you reach a point in your life where something needs to shift, something internally needs to shift. You need to move something in your body, and often you take what you're working through with you. So like I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts and you've went to Australia and different places and sometimes it can give you like temporary relief from your stuff because you're maybe not around the same people or the same stuff, but you still take it. I used to think of it as like you take a bit, take it in a wee rucksack with you. So when I got to Orkney, it wasn't this kind of ma- magical experience where I was co- completely alleviated from all the stuff. But I did have nature, I did have the sea, I did have my tent. And so I worked in a youth hostel um, after I finished my first experience at uni. And then on my days off, I would just youth go Youth hostel, it's not like a backpacker's hostel. like a, So a backpacker's yeah. hostel in Orkney? Yeah, I just was looking There's for a There's a lot job. of people in there? Yeah, from What's all there? over the place. It was amazing. Yeah, I met people. What was really cool about that point in my life is I wanted to get away and process myself, my stuff, by myself and meet people like you maybe experienced this when you were traveling like you meet people as you are in the moment so they don't know that your history they, they don't know where you've been they don't know where you're going it's really liberating to just be who you are in the moment I wasn't a runner anymore I wasn't all the things that I'd attached to my identity in some ways uh, I've had this debate with loads of people because they'll say things like you can't you can't run away from your problems and yes that's sort of true but you also sometimes can't figure out your problems until you're away from them mm-hmm. so like a lot of me moving to australia i was stuck in like pretty toxic friend groups i th- the f- the best thing about moving to australia was simply you could make more money doing shit jobs so like the i just found here i had no qualifications or anything didn't know what I wanted to do and like your own, the only jobs I had was like call centres and hospitality and because the wages are so shit yeah. you just feel like stuck doing like dead end jobs and like you could see no vision of getting I couldn't see any way of getting out of that sort of trap of like wage to wage living doing something I hated and also like a pretty toxic relationship with my mum and stuff mm-hmm. and it was the first time I got away from all of it and I and honestly, money is, although money doesn't bring you happiness, it can alleviate stress. Yeah. And I was always stressed about money. I've even been stressed up about money up until like maybe last year. I sorted that out a bit. But like, so yeah, there is, it won't work for everyone, obviously, but 
uh, just blanket statements in general don't work, don't they? When people are like, you can't w- run away from your problems, and then people are like, oh, travel and we'll fix anyone. It does, it's, there's obviously nuance to everything, but for me, it was the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like, it was the start of me figuring myself out. Yeah, me too. Which I still obviously do every day. Yeah, me too. Mm. Yeah, totally. I think that universal messages are comforting in some ways, and they apply to us at different chapters of our life. But then they sometimes don't resonate, you know, after we've went through something or we're at different stages of our life. And so up until that injury, though, so I left school without qualifications, grew up just me and my mum, grew up without a lot of money and had this real drive that was kind of like, like nothing else was in my way and that feeling of just wanting to get out of that situation. And so that's what led to the injury, because really my whole life I was doing too much. I was at uni. Um, I left school with no qualifications and worked my way up to get to uni. So none whatsoever. Um, maybe like into in one English, maybe. But we no. homeikies, sort of standard grade. Home, yeah, yeah, <laughs> PE like yeah. that type of. I get higher PE, man. I'm sorted. It's, it was so difficult though because I kind of left school without that belief in myself. I had a later diagnosis of dyslexia um, in my twenties at uni. So my whole life I carried this shame that I wasn't academic enough, I wasn't good enough, but I still had this drive to get out of that situation, which can sometimes be like a, an energy source in and of itself to move through that, but I just took on too much and led to burnout, led to injury. Um, Before and, burnout was popularised. So I didn't have a I think it's actually it a good movement, to be fair. I think there's many movements that aren't, but burnout, I think, is... People understanding burnout now is huge, I think. I had no idea. I was just foggy. And mm. we kind of talked a wee bit about the the experience of orthorexia, that it kind of comes in to just balancing all the plates and looking for something to meet your own needs. So at a time where I was, I, I went through college and then eventually got to uni. And then at uni, um, was working a night shift job um, as well as doing youth work. And the youth work was only meeting like that connection of young people in my because another kind of tangent but that I left my the community I grew up in and so when I left that you leave a part of yourself although you know you want to move out of that type of community unfortunately just with lots of different things I wanted to move out of it the youth work was the thing that was tying me back home so every week from Sterling I would travel home to this youth club I was doing night shift in Arran or Livingston no Livingston yeah I was gonna say it was but it was still like two trains and a cycle and then I was running on top of that and trying to race and and then getting into podcasts, which I can share a wee bit about what happened in Orkney and how they really helped me. But at a point where biohacking and veganism and paleo and CrossFit were, were kind of all everyone was talking about on podcasts. I'm really glad you're talking about it because this is basically all my notes. And I was like, right, oh, we're cool. end up going to just Great. the stuff I wanted to ask you about. Great. So I don't want to look at this thing and I just want to see where our conversation goes because I think we'll end up just so much there is so much to talk about so the podcasting at that point it was people who were trying to teach you things about nutrition and at that time I was doing physiology and nutrition and sport I moved from community education to do sport at uni um another long story but I really realized the power of nutrition and sport and how that can change your life but it can become all-consuming and so when you get interested in veganism and it just got it got to the point where it was all I was doing and I was like trying to morning rituals, evening rituals, like it was taking up so much of my time. So I was still doing night shifts. But three minutes better get a cold shower in. Yeah. Mm. 
just everything. He lists of things. So there's a guy called Ben Greenfield. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's. Um, I might have if you tell me just a buzzword or something. He, I mean, he's been on podcasts that are popular now, like Chris Chris Williamson. Um, Talking about Joe what? Logan, biohacking. So everything to do with hacking your biology and living the most optimally. So I hate all these words. So some of the some of the stuff is really interesting and can help at points in your life. Um, but really, when you're vulnerable, I was vulnerable. I think that that's the biggest thing that I could share. That when you're vulnerable and you have low self worth, all the things that you're trying to do to mask your low self worth or whatever you're running away from will will never fully meet the needs and change that. And so. I was always trying to find the answer and getting some temporary relief from fasting or which I have lots of opinions on now or cold water showers or um some of them are are good so, yeah, and they've got that's why yeah, it works that's it's why it just, sticks you get obsessed with doing all of them yeah. like cold showers Paul during therapy one of the first things he and he said cuz Paul had, Paul had me as a therapist client after listening to me on 50 podcasts in the same room so he was well aware of and we would get on and he would agree with me on loads of things as well I don't have controversial opinions or anything I'm willing to listen to like what anyone really says apart from Stephen Bartlett um but he was on the first time he was like I want you to do cold showers and he see me roll my eyes and he was like listen it's not really about there's not like a real specific reason I'm doing this you just like I want to give you something to do that just puts you out of your comfort zone what, uh, once a day yeah. just to alleviate the other things you're stressing yourself about. And he's like, that's it. Don't think about it any other way. I think the way I communicate things to my clients, I've took a lot from Paul. Oh, that's lovely. Like a, a lot from him because he's really good at communicating things. Yeah, clearly. And like even like recently I've, I get people to send me their food diaries and a lot of people have toxic relationships with food. And also, I'm not too bothered if they... Like, I would even let people write it down. But they can use my fitness pal. But I really state clearly now for the first, like, four to six weeks, I'm like, this is literally just so I can gather data on how you eat. Yeah. And it's nothing more than that. So the calorie and protein goals and stuff like that, I'm not even expecting you to hit them. This is all so I can see... Because I'm trying to tell people, right, it's not really about... Right, your calorie goal and your protein goal is about when you get stressed about something, how does that night look? And I'm not even zoning in on that yet. I just want to see six weeks of like how your habits sort of look and how the overall picture looks. And that's all it's for. It's nothing about, and I don't want you to attach that to the scale weight because there so many people just pick up so many different, like again, blanket statements like, Tracking food creates like bad relationships with food, but it's how you how you view it and how you use it. Mm-hmm. So I use it as a tool just to see how people eat, but not for your this is weight loss. Yeah. It's how you use it, but getting better at communicating that is so important. Because you don't the longer you do you'll know yourself doing therapy, the longer you do it, like you just realise that oh I'm actually dumber than I thought and I should have been doing it. Like do you know what I mean? You're like, I thought I had it figured out. And then you're like, oh, there's more nuance again. And that's the hard thing. Like, two things that I'm thinking about when I hear you share that is that it's not the thing, it's your relationship to the thing. Mm -hmm. 
So running now, I have a really balanced, joyful relationship with it. And I had to really reverse what I was doing and work out what I was using running for. And so so now I don't use it for the same thing, similar with the outdoors um, and all these things. So it's not the food that's the issue. It's your relationship with the food. And similar with me, like orthorexia is kind of... the. A wee summary of that would that be yeah, helpful? Yeah, go for it. Um, so it's kind of an over obsession with. So it. just say what like you suffered with this, mm-hmm. yeah. From when? It's hard to say when it it overtook that threshold of what would be diagnosed as orthorexia. Yeah, because eating disorders are murky water for me. Okay, that's why I, no, I just mean I find it even difficult. Cause I have sometimes have clients that have eating disorders, but. They don't disclose them because naturally they feel guilty. So I don't find out for like four or five months later. Also, just just the diagnosis in general, it's lots of vague terms. So it's really, I just, it's not really clear on what is an eating disorder. And then I would describe myself of having like disordered eating patterns, but I didn't have an eating disorder. Do you know what I mean? It just gets really confusing. Um, when, when you're talking about it. So that's why it's quite good that you're really clear about like the word and you use because that's what matters, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess it means different things to different people. Mm. I kind of go away from diagnosis and pathologising our feelings and because it can keep us quite stuck in those um, labels, it might really work and really resonate and, and give you relief from what you're experiencing. So, for example, dyslexia. I, I have so much relief and a kind of removal of like this shame that I was carrying for a long time. But also when I first got diagnosed, I was wondering, can I even finish uni? Because now I've confirmed all the stuff I thought I, I had, you know, and the whole process was actually really painful. The the diagnosis, the psychological uh, assessment, all that kind of stuff was really painful. So sometimes the diagnosis isn't helpful for eating disorders. I think that um, it can be useful for different people in different circumstances and I know that that's a blanket statement but I think it's really important around eating disorder recovery because the NHS has a whole system in the way that they approach eating disorder recovery that I don't feel aligned with. I don't feel Um, aligned with much of the therapy practices of the NHS. Because eating disorders for me as as a kind of with my own professional and personal experience of it, a lot of it's trauma-based. It's a trauma response and it's a sense of how can I have some sort of control over my life to feel a sense of safety? Because at times in my life I've felt out of sync, I've felt unsafe, I've felt uncertain. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever adverse childhood experience or whatever experience that's left you feeling unsafe, we grasp onto coping mechanisms, whether that's routines or rituals or it shows up in our relationship with food. So... Orthorexia, though, is a quite an interesting um, diagnosis or, or um, what will we call it instead of a diagnosis? Like a collection of <laughs> symptoms, because I think the diagnosis for me is Yeah, a helpful. collection of vague terms that vague you terms. might resonate with and yeah. might not. Yeah, that can move with you through life. You know, if you were diagnosed at a young age, often that is then your identity. It doesn't mean that that's a negative thing, and if that fits your life, that's okay. But for me, I am... Um, I didn't want to go down the path of, of having support through the NHS and I think that if I did, looking back, and I was hospitalised because I was at a point where I was definitely anorexic. and You were hospitalised? No, I wasn't. But I think if I was, because I've worked with people who have been um, and I've worked with families and individuals who have been, that approach um, wouldn't have worked for me uh, because what it, it, it was described to me as is it takes away your control. 
and what having a kind of um, eating practices and a sense of rules and regulations around food at the time was giving me was like temporary relief from what I was experiencing. It was like so. Then you would have had to face all the other problems. Yeah. So the eating disorder was actually like giving you the only sort of organization that you had. It's not, it's absolutely that. And that's what often addiction is. You hear people who... That's why you speak about Gabor Matty quite a lot, don't you? And that, that's what he's probably alluding to when he's talking about the addictions that lead into each other, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So he was talking about how his working addiction uh, made him a shopaholic as well. Yeah. Like the other addictions leading into other ones, isn't it? I'm laughing because some of his shopping addiction was like buying CDs and records. Yeah, it's and stuff. my I ask, of them all the time. I, I laughed quite a lot at his podcast because he's just he's so, so open about stuff. He's so great. Mm. And they're all related addiction in some ways, although we, they all have a different effect on us. Certain drugs or, or substances will have a different internal effect. We're all seeking temporary relief through pleasure, through numbing. That He describes it as like something that gives you temporary relief, um, but... You still do it despite negative consequences and you can't stop. And so orthorexia can be framed in that. Maybe I'll just share what it is before we kind of yeah, talk go about for it more. So this is um, to just a caveat or, or share before. It's not that healthy eating inherently is an eating disorder. It's that if you become over obsessed and all in on eating. So an easy, the easiest way to say it is an obsession of clean eating and categorizing foods as good as good or bad and although we do that naturally because we see that certain foods have more nutrition than others um it's when that becomes like the forefront of your mind when you're making all food choices it's for the yourself. guilt associated with guilt. what you're calling bad and then an obsession for trying to remove all of the kind of chemicals or impurities that so can go so and, and unfortunately at the time where i kind of leaned into this was when i came off of paleo and went straight into veganism so CrossFit and and doing CrossFit. By the way, I've had I've had a dietitian on that's a CrossFitter, and just the the promotion the promotion of diets in the CrossFit community is horrendous. Yeah, especially like the the nutritional guidance is just I don't I don't know where it comes from. CrossFitters would know better, but it's pretty much the opposite of what is the diet that is required for a CrossFitter. Like an extreme sport yeah. versus with an extreme dieting approach, like um, devoid of what you need for an extreme sport. It's literally like the worst combination. I'd imagine, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'd imagine a lot of eating disorders came out in the cross, CrossFit community from that. I, that that's a, like a throw at the wall sort of thing, but just if you think about those two things, that's what would lead me to believe. And you know, if you grow, I grew up without knowing a lot about nutrition. And so it was kind of like, I was really lucky, although I grew up in a kind of working class community where people were eating not the healthiest of foods, I had, my mum made quite a lot of home meals. So I was really lucky in that when I was at home, just me and my mum, she would make like soups or stews or that type of thing. But when I was out the house, just crisp chocolate, like everything at all times in school, it was like, all the trays. Do you remember the trays that we'd eat? And it was just like different coloured trays. Did you get that? Like different coloured trays. What? At, explain it at again. Lunch, you would get like different coloured. So trays. I, I wouldn't eat any school food. Okay. That I refused. I used to get slagged in school because I used to. Uh, do you remember milk roll? 
Milk roll. It was like round bread. bread. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a blue. So I used to get, <laughs> my mum used to make me milk roll and like she used to call it chicken meat. So it would be like the processed chicken and I would just have them as sandwiches and I, everyone would just shout milk roll and chicken meat at me because I'd be like, what are you having about milk roll and chicken meat? Oh, that's so and I, I, cause I was quite fussy as a kid, but I just, I think I had a wee bit of phobia of school food. Like, I don't like mayonnaise and stuff, so, like, that's constantly in, like, the sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably followed me. I'm not really that fussy anymore, but I, like, see if I eat, like, a greasy pizza, I have to go and shower after it. See if it touches my face. Aye. Like cleansing it. Aye. Okay. But it's not really, like, something that affects my life, but yeah. my missus will mention it. She's like, you shower a lot. I don't, yeah. I don't like not feeling that's a hard thing in relationships they're a mirror to some of the mm. things that we don't see or, yeah. or acknowledge no I'm aware of these because <laughs> she's not For my sure. first girlfriend <laughs> oh, all of them have picked up on it so um, you know when you were saying about milk roll and chicken I used to get called Jennifer Murray chips and curry I didn't eat chips and curry but it just rhymed and that just reminds you know when someone says something it just triggers school memories I used to get called dildo because my friend found a dildo in my mum's room. So I got that. You. I got that for about two years. Actually, we found two. A huge pink one and a huge blue one. Oh, I'm fine. It's, it's, not, it's actually not one of my things that have okay. bothered me too much. But I do remember we were like play fighting in my mum's room and like he banged my head off the pillow. Well, he hit my head off the pillow. But it hurt. Oh, no. And it was underneath the pillow. Yeah. I was like, that didn't feel like a pillow. And we looked underneath. And then as soon as my friend picked up, I was like, oh, the next year of my life isn't going to be great. Because I seen the delight in his face because <laughs> we were 13 and we just we just figured out what a dildo was. So the worst time ever to find out. Yeah, and it follows you because when you're young, people just pick mm. up on things. Yeah, just it just goes. Right. Even so if you don't react to it, there's nothing you can do to stop that. Yeah, yeah it's so hard. And, and kind of going back... Because I feel like we've we've I well we didn't uh, we, we didn't actually answer why did you get things, right? so there was a couple of things so you I so you got the injury then you're talking about the sort of eating disorder or we don't call it an eating disorder or whatever um so we're talking a wee bit about nutrition and my background with that because I was going to share and that, then how you ended up in art like and in stuff school, yeah I'll share that um in school I didn't learn enough about nutrition at all it was kind of Milk at break and just the random Scottish kind of culture that you absorb growing up. I speak often about how my parents were the worst source of advice for food, but I think that's 90% of... What, how old are you? Uh, turning 13. Turning 30. So I'm turning 29 this year, so you're a similar age group to me. But So I think our parents' generation, very little of them, at least when I was younger, like I've educated my dad quite a lot. But when I was young, oh my god, the stuff they used, the, the typical stuff like no carbs after six, like r running for weight loss is pretty much what my dad had me do. And my dad's amazing. My dad's the best dad in the world. So he's that was all from a place of love. But he would get me to go running for weight loss, and it's honestly the worst. And trying to explain that to him, even an older, he's like, "If you run, like you'll burn more." I'm like, "Oh my god, well." There's lots more to it than that. You had me run when I was very embarrassed to run because I was so fat and I got called fat when I was running. Um, and also the tone in which he used to like make me go running 
I knew he was doing it because you have tried to get me not to be fat. Do you know what I mean? So there's, the, as a child, the, what you pick up from that. Yeah. But trying to explain that to, like, I've been slagging off, like, boomers and, like, my dad sort of generation quite a lot because they're, they're the least self-aware generation. But they're they're maybe getting there now. But they 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 slag like our age group and Gen Z and stuff and how much time people spend on social media. But I do think our generation is a lot more self aware. Yeah, yeah. And you know that that relationship with diet and exercise that they have, I think at points, I feel we could learn from not being always fully aware of everything that we're doing and the impact. You know, like when I'm hearing you say that, I'm thinking. So when growing up, not having enough information and then when I happened upon paleo and CrossFit and then that spiraled into like me learning, because I do this, I go all in. I don't know if it's, I can't quite unravel if it's dyslexia and neurodivergence or my own, I would be this way anyway. Um, but it definitely, I, I get all in on lots of different subjects. So I've wanted to be lots of different things because of that. Oh, I'm the same. Like hundreds, because I get so excited and then it just... Once I've learned it all about it, it kind of fades. And I'm like, actually, that's not my career anymore. I want to pivot into something else. But I do think with nutrition and orthorexia that I got to a point where I knew too much. I knew so too you were much too scared like of food because you... Factory mm. farming, the food systems, like the impact it has on your individual body. All my friends and family eating terribly or, or terribly. And the impact that that might have on their body, their longevity, like... I think that some of what your dad's saying, it's kind of like, how would kind of ignorance is bliss? Mm. You know, that kind of, it's pretty cool not to have all the awareness all the time. And Mm. it's taken me a long time to unlearn nutritional information. So I've tried to delete what calories are in carbs, protein, fat. Like I I kind of know some of the first parts of it, but I've tried to delete certain nutritional. I think you only need that like small amount of education. There's so much information now constantly. (sighs) I think the worst thing people can do is go listen to like loads of different I think you can listen to podcasts and learn but I think stick to one or two sources and then just leave it and hopefully you get a good one because there's some wild ones out there hopefully ones that if you pay for if you don't pay for anything and there isn't a big usually that's a green flag if there isn't some sort of big sales pitch somewhere and it's just someone like you can tell is genuine but those genuine people aren't as clickbaity as the the ones that I've got a lot of marketing behind them. So how do you stumble across those genuine people? It's really it's really, really hard as just an individual. Or even just to give like broad advice to a population as someone trying to advise people, it's so hard to find the balance of like, right, if I say the truth and nothing but the truth and be morally ethical and nobody sees it versus they'll play the game a little bit but maybe harm one or two people yeah. from the clickbait yeah. but then those who will listen to all the podcasts are helped a lot it's hard trying to navigate that oh, for sure and i heard something recently that it said like in a day now we get more information than someone that lived 700 years ago would in their lifetime mm-hmm. and so you know, when I started listening to podcasts, though, it wasn't as performative as it is now. You know, I someone told me when I was doing Night Shift that podcasts exist. So this is like four, year, 10 years ago, maybe nine years ago. Yeah, 10, 11 years ago. And I'm really bad with time like that. It's all a big blur. But I remember just there was a podcast called Rich Roll. Have you ever heard of Rich Roll podcast? It's no. like, he's like an endurance runner. 
lots of kind of vegan podcasts out and Joe Rogan. And so I listened to Joe Rogan maybe about 10 years ago. And although over the last two years I've fell away from his podcast, I at one point had listened to like 1,100 podcasts of Joe Rogan. And you probably, pretty much just morphed into him. Do you know, I, I was realising, you know, after you do something for a long time and then you have a wee bit space away, like you said, about travelling and stuff. I was like, what was the role he was playing in my life? And I think it was a father figure. It was, it was embarrassing and vulnerable probably to share that. <laughs> Joe Rogan like, It's aye. so strange, right? Your virtual you're father. Seeking out, you're seeking out influences that maybe you don't have. And so podcasts for me, the reason I'm sharing that with you is that podcasts can meet different needs in us you know, that maybe we don't realise and it's connection needs, it's maybe intimacy needs that we're not getting at different places. And now that I don't need podcasts for that same thing, I've changed who I listen to. So I don't listen to podcasts for information anymore. I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. Yeah, same. I've seen you listen to Theo Vaughn. I've seen you talking about you. He's my favourite. He's amazing. So. He's so funny. But So I, I was on a run listen to Theo Vaughn and Tony Robbins and I had this idea oh, that was great. Yeah, Tony Robbins was unreal wasn't he he was so good because I've just had this idea in my oh, head that so just I've just seen the books he re- reads and I've seen like because a lot of those guys that do those seminars and all that are all fucking like absolute pseudoscience like space cadets so just like go with cult followings and he probably does have a cult following, but I listened to that podcast and I was like, man, my interpretation of Tony Robbins was so wrong. He's a legend he's, and he seems so down to earth. And I just love how he slags his big hands and all that. Do you hear? But he was, now, this is controversial because what I'm going to bring up, you're a therapist and I have no, I've no opinion on what I'm talking about. It just made me laugh so much. But Tony Robbins was, Sophia Vaughn's famously been on like uh, SSRI's for a long time he's so he was uh tony robbins was saying about how there's so much research to say that they don't work at all <laughs> and the old was like there is i didn't i didn't get an email <laughs> i was actually crying he was like i didn't get a fucking email or anything i've even been on this shit for 20 years oh i, actually that oh, I was i had to stop my run i was actually in tears dude i don't get an email <laughs> I was that makes me so laugh because he was so surprised and he totally trusted it. It was like, I'm just on this for no reason at all. Yeah, that was so funny. That was such a I was cr- I was crying well after that. It was so funny. It was. And I think he was so vulnerable and he's so receptive to challenging his thoughts. You know, so I listened to him when I was in Orkney. And I remember, like we were talking about before we started, I just... Can I get you just to move that a wee bit closer? Sure. I pressed... Um, play on one of his podcasts and then the solo ones yeah oh, I'd, I'd listen to Phil Vaughn solo would scare me I think I've li- I've listened I've watched quite a lot of the YouTube clips just because so I I think up until recently I've, I've spent a serious amount of time on my own mm. just because I'm an only child and I would have I've rinsed podcasts and stuff as well but I'm like a really extroverted person that spends a lot of time on their own I would say, but that means I'm with my thoughts a lot, and I think my own thoughts not like are um, toxic, but I just think really fried things all the time. Like my brain is often absolute tangent, um, and Theo Vaughn is next level. So me on my own with my thoughts, with Theo yeah. Vaughn's thoughts in my next ears, mm-hmm. 
I just don't think it's a good combination. I can listen to him talk to other some because someone else is like sounding out his thoughts. My thoughts on top of Theo Vaughn's thoughts yeah. would top me top me over the edge. Do you think? But I think it's at different stages of your life you need different things. So when I was in Orkney, I kind of was craving someone to a laugh, as well as like someone opening up vulnerable parts of themselves because I grew up with that sense of being strong and finding it really difficult to share that I was struggling. And so see, it's funny, the podcast were kind of giving me that in some ways permission to be vulnerable and open with myself. And so hearing someone else do that was like a, it was, it supported me doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I then began to open up and, and process how I was feeling and share how I was feeling and not carry so much of that by myself. Because I think growing up with a single mum, you take on and embody lots of different energies, like more masculine and feminine. Mm. So you take on masculine roles and you maybe don't, or I didn't, I speak like we, but maybe that's someone else's experience too. I didn't lean in too much to being vulnerable for myself. I would care and, and show up for lots of different people in my life. Um, and that kind of touches on why I became a therapist because I, I worked through my own stuff and integrated that and then was able to show up for people in a different way. But I think that if I didn't do the healing work in Orkney and after that, I wouldn't have been able to be a therapist because I've not done my own work and my own self and been able to be present and sit with my own pain and recognise when I'm triggered or things surface. I'm getting away from that word triggered, but when things surface in me... You don't like a lot of words, don't you? I think that they've been... you know, Monopolised. Like hijacked by other things. Same with nutrition, like with with certain. I think I think I think every. Think social media, like every good movement that starts, social media ruins, because it just takes it takes and runs with it. Yeah. So like, feminism, great movement, and then there's people that have just went. It's like people have became like just hate men. The men have the same with hating women as well but they'll have their movement that's how Andrew Tate and stuff got big then even like body positivity that's great that's a great movement but it went too far the other way that there's like no um there's no balance between like or like people have went to the extreme that like being overweight will cause no health consequences and I'm very careful when I say stuff like that because I know people that will suffer with their weight will listen to this naturally um but it's just every movement that you see sort of just gets, like, they just take it and run with it on social media. But then do you think how many people are as extreme as that? You know, like, I do think that there are people out there that are not engaging in comments. And, mm -hmm. and like, because I've never left a negative comment, even though no, I felt all. that urge. I, I've, I've, I, can't, I think I would have only done it when I'm maybe like, like, I can't remember. I wouldn't have done it ever in the last, like, five, six, seven years. I think I've maybe left one or two comments on like a nutrition TikTok video, but just that I've been tagged in. Because I used to like maybe do quite a lot of videos like that and people would tag me and stuff, tag me and stuff and I'd maybe debunk stuff in the comments. But I've never been in a place where I want to leave a negative comment. Yeah. And it, it's quite, so I, I've recently done a few reels that are like TikToks on the Stephen Bartlett stuff that went wild. And it would make you think that the world is actually... Crazy, but I'd like see if you go into like if you spend time in real life and just you know go a go to a football game or like go to a, a gig or go to the pub. People aren't 
anything like what they are in social media comments. And it may, I think if you spend a lot of time on social media, you can end up thinking the world is mental. But that's that's where I've got the move, the movement, like that I was talking, like the that movements have went too far. Mm-hmm. You're probably right that I'm maybe only seeing that on social media. Because I think that there's so much wonderful impact that these kind of movements have that we don't see because it's not like extreme and mm. and talked about enough and. I've been learning a lot about our nervous system recently and so I was talking to a client about it today because there's parts in our body that we don't fully understand and so we're maybe in modes that we are kind of working on automatically and naturally without recognising that we're in it and so a part of our nervous system is fight and if we're constantly stuck in fight or or flight, which I, I have been in and, and we all have because we fluctuate between different, is it? Is it interesting to share a wee bit about our nervous system and share? Mm-hmm. Do you know much about your nervous system and how it? So shows up? I'm having Paul on my podcast on Friday, oh, which okay. I'm well excited about. I never wanted okay, to ask him for ages. It. No, I'll. I'll I, so I, I've got a specific question for him. Um. So I done six months of therapy with Paul, yeah. and then and I've been trying to figure out how how I can kind of convey my experiences. To clients as a personal trainer without not getting into the messy where I'm not qualified, but like giving them some awareness and stuff. But I went six months and I went because I basically thought I was incapable of a healthy relationship until I like went and figured out what goes on in my head. And I, then I got in a relationship and it is healthy, but three, three months in, I still got the, the same feelings that come up but it was it was just sheer anxiety and in the past a lot of the actions like who had been with had maybe like left me to feel like that but I knew for a fact that it was this was just and like because nothing had happened for me to feel like that okay. whereas usually I could go right this made me feel this way and stuff I just was like it was the thought of like getting in a relationship and like the same things happening it was almost like past experiences yeah. I was like overthinking that so I went back for another session with him. And like in therapy, I think I would be more honest than ever like most like a lot not than everyone fucking hell. I mean, I would ha- I would have the goal of getting to what I wanted to speak about, but I would, you know, go to other places first because yeah. I'm too embarrassed to talk about it. Um but Paul kinda pe- started picking that up, I think. So he would just he would like entertain them at the start and then because um, I was having like nightmares and stuff but that was related to it but that's where I started with and uh, he just started properly going through f- fight or flight responses okay. with me because um, I was so and his anxiety would that be flight or f- manifesting it's different for everyone right so, so. My, if I have anxiety I hate when people say my anxiety but if I had anxiety and when I've had it in the past, my thoughts are just like a million, like a hundred miles an hour, and they'll just, I'll be like ding, 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 and every one will like be more ridiculous than the other one, and I'll be able to fully sit there and go, I don't believe any of these thoughts, but I can't stop them. So I I could literally just sit and write stuff down and be like, I don't even believe any of this, but because it's been said over and over and again in my head, it's making me start questioning it. And then he, he was like, 
right? So I, you'll be able to explain it better than me. But he was just like, you're, you're, you're in fight or f- flight mode, and here's some tools to get out of it. And also, I, I, so I done, <laughs> I done CBT on myself, mm-hmm. and I just took the, um, cognitive distortions he had gave me before, and I basically just redone the session because mm-hmm. I was, I done it in here. I was just scared about what was happening to me, mm-hmm. so. I went fuck it. I'm gonna and I'd booked a session with him. I was like, right, I'm just gonna do what he done with me on myself. And then like it was two days of it, and I spoke to it, spoke about it to my girlfriend as well. And then it started getting a wee bit better, but I didn't want. I wanted to know what to do the next time it happened because yeah. I avoided like doing any exercise. Cause I thought, right, my my first thought was. I don't want to like just exercise to take myself away from yeah. the thoughts. He was like, as long as you're aware that you're not doing that. He was like, actually, when you're in fight or flight, like, I, I don't, I don't know the science behind it or anything. But he was like, just even getting yourself into a different heart rate zone and stuff might actually help your nervous system. I don't know enough about that. That was just the way he explained it to me. So I do, I know a little bit, but only from my own experience but that that was like a you know when you have like epiphanies or like a home i knew that specific advice and me learning that was gonna be so like yeah like changed my life because i was so scared of that happening to me again because my first breakup made put me in that like mode for for like honestly 18 months and i was like every minute of every day so I've always been terrified as anticipating yeah, back. and I'm like I, I actually can't I, I can't go into that again. Totally, and you know before I quickly share about the nervous system, I thanks for sharing that. Oh. I feel like that's a really powerful I'm, example I, of it all, yeah. and I know you're vulnerable anyway on this, yeah, yeah. but um, I think it relates to my experience of Orkney, and I'll share a wee bit about that. But when I experienced, <laughs> you've, <it>, you've teased <laughs> me so much about this Orkney experience, but it does relate, and we'll kind of go. Well, back well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> This magic the ten. <laughs> I was just in the ten all the long, figuring myself yeah, like, out. If you've seen mental health struggles around you, I'll try and speak for myself because I do that a lot. I think as a therapist, you learn to speak kind of as human beings rather than your own personalized experience. Mm. Um, I was scared to experience challenges with my mental health because I seen how it could impact people, and so I felt like if I knew as much information as I could. I don't oh, like out, outrun it, yeah, physically yeah. run it, outrun it. Just like, like that's also educate yourself yeah. so so much, so like you done with food. Totally. So I thought, if I understand everything cognitively, then I'm not going to. I will never face a problem. <laughs> yeah. And what I was ignoring was my feelings. I was ignoring everything that I was experiencing internally and trying to think it away. So after, after Orkney, um, I started fearing having depression again. And I remember, I remember because my experience was like feeling like you had fell down a hole and not knowing how to get yourself up. And I felt so fully in my body and my nervous system that it could have stole my life. Like I I really felt like I could have just got lost down there and I couldn't get back up. And so once I did get back up, it felt a bit like you were on a tightrope. And mine was associated with lots of different things, but winter definitely exasperated it. So you're talking to the 
winter avoid her for about a decade. So when winter was approaching, I began to get that anticipation that you're describing. So relationships and getting intimate in that type of dynamic for you maybe created that feeling like I was going to go back to that previous time in my life and all the stuff was going to come up. Winter was like every year. I was like, I need to sort myself out with winter and and not fear it as much and lean into resting. I think that the main point of it was I, I had fear around slowing down and resting because then you have to sit with how you feel and and not get your self-worth from being productive and, do, and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I I really resonate with that fear around experiencing the same thing again. And And I think we can get lost in that a lot with lots of anticipatory grief and loss and it can take us out the present moment. And so learning about my nervous system and supporting clients through that allowed me to learn about being present without this need to focus on it too much and so for example we 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 hear a lot about meditation and mindfulness and how we need to spend time practicing being present and I think for me learning about my nervous system allowed me to realize that I can naturally slip into being present without having it become like another thing I have to get good at Um, and so recognizing what I needed and how to meet my own like internal needs allowed me to realize that I could use running for example or being outdoors um to be present because I how do I describe it you naturally fall into it when you're not always trying to work through things like you you don't maybe always have to find the answer and make sense of things and my old, my go-to when I was ever feeling something was like how can I research this as much as I can to understand what was going on I'm the do that and then, and then it's like, it gives you a temporary relief from it, but you're still maybe not feeling it. And so your nervous system, feeling it, experiencing it, embodying it, actually connecting with how your body feels and learning how it fluctuates throughout the day. So the nervous system can be broken out down to three different parts. Um, the most optimal that you don't always sit in, but where you would always want to sit in if you could, um, is kind of this safe, at ease, sociable, relaxed, authentic most genuine part of you comes out when you're in that kind of safe place but life happens um and also historically we've experienced things so our our nervous system learns from our history where we've been our own individual nervous system will have been shaped by our upbringing i'm really thirsty um our upbringing. take a wee drink from jill's 30 for flirty and thriving um, we had a 30th in here at the weekend and our water bottles are branded by Dale's wife's 30th birthday party. Have you ever seen 13 going on 30? No. That's what that reminds, I'm sure that that's... I think that's what it's from. I remember her saying, yeah, it's a direct quote from a film, I think. Um, just last quick thing on this because I find it... No, I'm really, really interested in this because what Paul described to me, he was like, I would love to know more about it. That's why I want to ask him... Your nervous system's so cool. Yeah. And it's so like directly related to exercise and what different types of exercise we can do d- depending on our nervous system state. I would love to know what the effects of... So I speak often to clients about how they don't have... A lot of the times it's not really about them even what they're really doing in the gym. Even just if they get there two or three times a week what you see happen to people if they can do that for like six to 12 weeks even if they miss one or two of them but then they show up for themselves honestly the way they think changes and that's the only tool that's like the biggest tool i have as a personal trainer is that 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 
building belief in themselves. Because I, I come at personal training a lot different than a lot of personal trainers. I think a lot of personal trainers almost drag their clients through something and I try and more empower them to do it. So that's why I don't think, like, there's a model where PTs will train clients two or three times a week in person. They become attached to you and almost feel like they can't go to the gym without you or they didn't learn any of that on their own. So I, I like to, like, almost build their self-belief and constantly remind them. Like, every time they smash a PB or, like, smash pp you sound like such a personal trainer saying that but like learn a movement yeah. i've been teaching them it but then they've also went and done it on their own like that was you that's so yeah constantly yeah on yourself doing the things i'm trying to get it so they understand it's there yeah. it's them and yeah. they have done it yeah. and when they don't do it it's not a case of they're broken or they're a failure or anything it's just they haven't managed yet but they they can because mm -hmm. you it just takes long. It's obviously watching like however many clients I've trained like whatever. Some people don't manage to do it. Some do, and some it takes longer. But you do genuinely see a a change in how they think, and then other things start. They start becoming more aware of other things. Yeah, and I do think exercise is a great place to start because. Mm -hmm. I often think of my job sometimes, I think too deeply about everything, but a lot of the times I think if someone wants help or they, they're unhappy or they have a bad relationship with food or even just a bad relationship, like low self-worth or low self-esteem, I think people pin it on their weight or their body like before other things quite a lot. And then I think they go from, this is all hypothetical in, the, in my head, right? No science to back this up, no evidence. Yeah. I think a lot of people connect these dots, right? They go, I'm unhappy. And they sometimes pin it to their weight or how they look. And then they go f either fix that on most of the time on their own YouTube videos and yeah. diets and stuff. But the other option is PTs. So, but we are also not qualified with all the other things that might come with that. They've just pinned it on their weight. So I often, I'm like, right, even if I can't help them with those things, what's the best experience I can give them? And then I oft, I've i got so many clients that then go to therapy after me. Right, to work on yeah. what's coming up for them. E or even like things like physios. Like I start building trust that they can use, like use services and other yeah. trustable people yeah. to start working on their own or uh, like other things so I'll, I think I'm like can often be the gateway drug <laughs> keep going, or the gateway service to like therapy because yeah. I do think a lot of people will go to PTs first and then I'm always speaking so positively, positively about yeah, therapy because there's I think there's a lot that I think people would be better off going to therapy first before the gym but I don't think they will and it's and it can happen at the same time. I mean, mm. we've taken the we're right back at the start with outdoor therapy. Oh, are we? Are we getting to organizing? We just we're on the journey there. Um, <laughs> we're about <because>, Inverness <laughs> because connected with our internal body systems, nervous system, our body and our mind heal at the same time, and and that process is kind of like 
I don't ever think it should, and Gabor Matty talks about this, it's mind-body, it's not mind and body. You know, we're, we can't actually extrapolate those things, that they exist at the same time. So that's why, like, therapy without thinking about our body is disconnecting, and that's why PTs without thinking about your mind is disconnected. It all comes as one, and that's why I love outdoor therapy, because you can move your body as gently or as quickly as you want to, and you're processing your thoughts. There's something so healing about moving through how you're feeling processing how you're feeling as well as walking or being in nature and that experience of connecting like that that's what probably my personal experience with outdoor therapy is doing long dis- long distance hikes which probably sparked in orkney doing well a uh, if i think about any time i've done a long distance hike it's been like whoever i've been with it's been like a, a therapy oh, session it's, it's perfect if yeah. you ever want to d- go, go deep into a connection with someone go a hike mm-hmm. And go like a hike where you don't have any time pressure. You've got like six hours out there. I mean, long distance hikes, when I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like five days-ish. When you do long distance hiking, like the West Highland Way. Oh, I've, I've never done, like, done that. I've never done it five days. It's like... You're talking about like a therapy retreat. I was talking about like climbing Ben like, and having yeah, a good conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly Not Ben, I was doing like the bigger ones. No. Like, uh, yeah, like six, seven hours. You do come... You do come back from them, one, absolutely fucked, but two, like, you get so much off. I used to do, so Caelan was my mate I had on the last podcast, and we were debunking Stephen Bartlett, so you listened to that one, I think, when you, um, but he would have been one I'd do it with, and Caelan is, like, he's great to have conversations like this with. He's just so nice and down to earth, and he's, like, he can be quite simplistic, in it, or, like, what's the, maybe naive in his thinking about, like, people, but it can be, I'm the opposite. I'm a, like massive skeptic about things. So like getting his point of view about stuff is like we're too different. We got on really well, but we're both very very different. So like though you come away and he always messaged me after going here. That was class. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So like I I rate the even just if you you're not doing therapy, going a hike with someone is so good, isn't it? Even podcasting. That's the reason that I started podcast. During the pandemic where I was seeking connection, having exciting conversations to connect and just talk about lots of different things, share about life. And it was during that the pandemic where there wasn't much. Um, I, I was doing a master's at the time. And so I was studying um, the relationship between mental health, sport and physical activity. That was my master's. So I was doing a thesis on long distance hiking and connection and like it was actually before I did the podcast, I did uh, interviews with people. It was people from across the UK, but mostly Scotland, people who had hiked their whole life, doing like Monroe's or, or longer distance hikes. And they were just sharing their experience of it. And I was like, this is amazing. All my thesis interviews were way longer than they should, like some two and a half hours. And that wouldn't that. be like you. <laughs> it was so funny. So it actually got me more confidence. You know how you were saying about clients building up confidence and, and a sense of themselves worth all the types of things that grow and develop when we begin to have the evidence and the proof that we're more than maybe we thought we were. Mm. These interviews were like, I'm just making sense of it now that I'm sharing it with you. We're probably like, I could actually do this. And so that incurred, because I always wanted to have a podcast, but just didn't have, I think that's the difficulty. And I don't know if it's different for women, but I, I do sense it is because I've, I've listened to podcasts for a long time and it's so exciting to see them in Scotland now that was, but when I was just starting, there was only like Rebel City podcast, and I think that was the only Scottish one I listened to. Now there's comedy ones that I listen mm-hmm. to, and it's great. It's great to hear relatable Scottish experiences, but at the time it was just American experiences. We were just a wee bit behind quite a lot, yeah. 
But then when you look at it, and I don't know, I can't say this objectively because I've not done all the research, but I do see a lot more men doing podcasts in Scotland right now. And there's not a lot. There is some women doing them, but not like solo, not. I wouldn't really have a clue. Yeah. To be honest. Because you only see what comes up on your screen, don't you? I would, I would have no idea. And it's the algorithm and not that because yeah. there's a lot of kind of comedy podcasts that come up on that. Comedy is the, the best genre by far for me. Like it's such by, a relief. Because I'm, I'm getting sick of podcasts becoming this. Everyone's doing the same podcast. Like it becomes everyone quoting the same thing, especially like the productivity. You know, they're all like, they're all just got James Clear's book and just reading it out basically. Um, that Atomic Habits book and just quoting things like that. Whereas the comedy ones, I like the fact. Like, so someone commented on the my. I done a short form clip of the Stephen Bartlett thing, and they were like, "This should have been edited." Um, so much time has been spoken about other things and not the the main topic, and also the reason Stephen Bartlett's podcast is so good is because it sounds like it hasn't been edited. And I'm like, "But that's because it is edited massively, and every single gap is cut out, and the camera changes." Whereas I don't like listening to. Pod, I like the erraticness. I like to just. I like that's why I like comedy podcasts because they just. I kind of like the fact they inter- interrupt each other with a joke and it's funny. It's just natural. Mm. It's genuine, and I think it goes back to the reason that podcasts started in the first place: it's connection. Mm. You know, like you were saying about therapy, or when you're you have authentic connections with your friend. You were describing there. That's what we're seeking. Mm. So I think that when they're ingenuine, incongruent, they're they're not. They're not getting connection from even doing it. Never mind releasing it. because I, I said at the start of this, I wouldn't. I would ask questions and then shut up. But I'm like then, you also won't open up that much because I'm just asking you questions. Yeah. And you're not saying that oh, he's actually a person that has a an opinion or a thought process behind what you're saying. So, and that's why I. That's why I don't like listening to podcasts like that. Yeah. When it's just someone speaking and then almost like. I don't. I've never wanted to interview someone because people are like, "Oh, you're good at like interviewing." I'm like, "But I'm not interviewing," because mm-hmm. I only. Well, it's probably like people would say you have to have people that don't support your opinion or whatever. I only ask people on that I want to know more about what they're doing, right? Because like, then, I, if I didn't, if I wasn't interested, so I stopped having PTs that want to talk about calories on. It's like I'm not interested in listening to it. I don't speak about calories much to my own clients that often, so I don't want to listen to a PT talking about it. Yeah. And that's so difficult because it comes down to your intentions, like why are you doing the podcast and what are you wanting from that experience? Are you so it's a question I don't even know the wanting, answer to. Like, yeah, it, it maybe meets lots of different needs for you. You know, kind of going back to that nervous system stuff, It's there's lots of different things that can get us in a, a calm space. Like what time are we at? No, but that's for, we can go. Keep going. It's just quite no. Nice we'll go for probably like an hour and a half, probably. Okay, if that's all right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm. I kind of sense it was about an hour because therapy. You know, you mm. kind of there's different things that have running helps with that too. I can kind of know what distance okay. I'm at without even looking. Mm. I kind of know. I'm it. not good with stuff like that. I it's certain things kind of maybe teach you or it could be. Oh, we should do an hour long session all the time. It just clicks. I can look and I'm like, ah, oh, that's mm. where that. Um, but there's five things that I've been, maybe six things that I've been learning about that helps 
As you talk about the nervous system. Yeah, that helps regulate your system. So if you've got that, because we just got to one part of it. So if you've got the calm, relaxed space, you've got fight or flight. And that's what I see a lot of people when they're kind of comment. You know how when we're talking about the people that are polarized online and leaving the negative comments, they're, they're, a lot of them are in fight. They're trying to share. They've maybe felt unheard. Um, a lot of unmet needs, connection needs. So they're seeking connection, but they're wanting to be understood. They're wanting to share their opinions. So they're often in that mode. And then you've got um, stuckness. So that can be kind of associated with lack of interest, demotivation. Maybe your your nervous system's felt overwhelmed from a historical experience or something that's showing up in the moment, showing up at day to day. That will what burnout would maybe look like now. Yeah, just a sense of like disconnecting from the moment. And then also what's really sad about that type of stuckness is that when you come out of that, you have a lot of internalized guilt and shame because you you feel like you should have done something. It's fro- It's when you're freeze, you know, that sense of freeze that people can maybe not articulate themselves fully in an argument when they're overwhelmed or they say things that they wish they could have articulated. Yeah, you come out, fuck, I should have said that. That. So there's all those kind of things going on and it's like a different continuum. Some people might feel a wee bit stuck and disconnected. Others might feel like completely stuck and out. And so what we want really in in the most optimal way is to fluctuate between all those things because they're all trying to help us navigate the world. And we need to feel certain ways to cope with existing stuff that's going on. Um, And so what one thing that I've been learning about is like how can we regulate when we're feeling dysregulated how can we take pause and sometimes that's really hard if we're um, in a moment where we don't have time for that whether we're maybe having an argument or a disagreement or we're at work or something's going on where we don't have that space to have pause but if we do there's five or six things you can lean on one of them is exercise but it's finding the right exercise that feels right depending on your nervous system state so it might be running when you're feeling anxious, you're, when you're feeling that flight, you might want to just get rid of that. It might be boxing, it might be something that's like... It's crazy because I automatically assumed that would have been a bad idea. Right. I just assumed running away from my problems. Yeah. But it's when he broke it down into like, you're in a... You're in a different... Like I'd imagine, I didn't have the Garmin at the time, but I'd imagine when uh, my heart rate would have been higher from being anxious. So yeah. I was thinking about it that way. And that's not... I guess that's a really, really good point to share that that's not to say that that would have been right for you. Maybe if you're internally, intuitively saying this doesn't feel right, then maybe it's not. I would have done anything to to get out of it. And so so, shaking can be like a good, like have you ever um, heard of that before? Like shaking off like energy, excess energy that you're experiencing. Like I'm reading a book right now that's talking all about it. And like we're the only animal that doesn't shake. Like dogs shake, cats shake, like they shake to change their state, how they're feeling. I don't know why I'm fully shaking right now, but uh. that's like just expressing that. Like we don't, certain parts of the world do have rituals around dancing and moving their body intuitively. Mm. Yoga, like they, they have rituals around that, but like we in Scotland, I don't know if that cascades to like the UK like as a whole, but mm. we don't dance or move our body or connect with no, our body. No, we're not dancers. No, and we feel awkward. Apart from that weird Christmas dance and we got forced to do that. So. Oh, yeah, I seen a video about that recently, and it's, they were actually doing it. And I, was I think there was a lot of childhood trauma it, from that. Oh my god! Pick partners and yeah, having to dance with a teacher because someone would pick you and all. Oh, and so we have negative relationships with moving our body, and we equate it to not being good enough. Like, or or that was my experience, especially as a woman, a teenager growing up in PE. There was a massive shift around thirteen. 
where I was like, and all my friends were the same. Like, I don't want to be looked at and perceived by anyone and hid. Because you're going through puberty. Yeah, and you want to hide. You want to physically hide. I've asked men in similar ages to me, like, what was it like in the the changing room in PE? Because for women, we were. Oh, I, I I really did. I I didn't like it. It was. Horrible. But I was I was pretty overweight, and uh, oh, I I hated anything to do with taking my top off. Um, swimming was the worst. Yeah. I used to take swimming off quite a lot. But that'd be so. That would be so bad. See, lining up thirty people and they're saying your name, and you're like just in your trunks, and I'm like cold on your feet. There's girls that you fancy and all that, and you're just like, yeah, yeah. Shivers. Always PE notes after a certain point for all of us, Mm. and then they would try and bring out like the old the PE. And our PE teacher was one of the worst humans ever, and it was just awful. It was terrible experience. Yeah, not many people have positive experiences of PE. I mean, maybe some people do, but I mean, it, I definitely think it's like our first point of relating to our bodies and other people's bodies, and then that carries. If we've had a yeah, and how they perform and stuff as well, like when we're playing sports or like running or whatever. And then people say, "Oh, exercise is not for me," because they've had they've associated that. Yeah, how many people experience. don't like exercise, and the, like they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I was, I was a never MP. I was always handing." Yeah. That's one of the first thoughts they go first to into relationship. Mm. We were talking about our starting point was food. That that's the point where we start relating to our body and mm. either saying it's not for us or saying where we're not good at it. We're always like not good at the sport, so then we're not good at exercise and moving our body. And well, that's so sad because it cuts us off from actually experiencing our body, and then we see it as a negative thing that we have to try and make smaller in any way we can. We don't mm. get enjoyment from moving our body. Yeah. So that that was all to say that exercise is good for regulating your nervous system. When you're in fight or flight, when you're in any state that you find different ways to bring you down, to and you're trying, are you trying to change your state back to the settled? Yeah. Is that po- like is that it possible? It's, it's like a gentle, or is it more like relief, and then you might fall back into that? Yeah, it's like a volume dial, hmm. so it can like it depends. It's so individual, and certain things will not work for you. Certain things will really work for you. That's why. Like the type of therapy that I practice, I'm really mindful of the nervous system when it talk when we're talking about trauma because working through trauma, um, with the nervous system is really important because if you just begin straight away, exposing how you felt your previous experiences, it can be re-traumatizing. So uh, I'm reading a book just now. What is the name of it again? It's how tra- it's you'll have seen it and you'll know what it is. I think it's. I can't remember the name of it. It's like how trauma presents itself in the body. Okay. The body keeps the score. That's it. Yeah. And you that's know a what else. to get through. Is it? Yeah, oh, just, ah, there's been a few times I'm like, oh, that's grim. <laughs> I'm only like 40 pages in. But this is a, like, if I don't do PT in 10 years, I think I'll be in therapy. Yeah. I think, like, it's all probably a gateway job. But there's a few people at PTs I know that are now, like, so Katie Byers, who I've had on a few times, she's, uh, do she's nearly qualified, I think. Um, I was gonna say yes. They were talking about some a woman had an eating disorder. I don't know if you remember that in it. Uh, maybe it was a anorexia or bulimia, and they were force feeding her. And then he was like, after it, realized we've just actually had like gave her another experience of trauma, yeah, which is already why she had why she's suffering with those. Those symptoms. 
So that was eye opening for me. So, yeah, and we don't know. We don't know enough. So it's, like, it's like I think about when one of the I'm gonna do a podcast on fat shaming soon, and that's what when people Joe Rogan's bad for it. He's like fat shaming works. I'm like, I'm aware. I, oh. I kind of wish I didn't even. No, but like, name. I gave me some like Joe, Joe like, Rogan. It, no, but he's like, like he's some things resonate, some things completely. I don't agree. He, with he's, you can tell he's a genuine nice guy though, and he's like done so much for the careers of people, like in comedy. You can tell it, but he's but he just doesn't just, understand a lot of things, yeah, and he just, shouldn't be talking about it. His 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 knowledge on nutrition is. One of the one of the world's and worst bodies and movement and discipline and shame and constantly Eyes. pushing through like what you feel with the under the guise of discipline or shame or just like not processing your stuff similar with like But oh, I'd have been the same. You I had a listen to Joe Rogan maybe like five or six years ago when I'm in that twenty two year old testosterone filled like part of my life where I where I don't have any money and I'm like maybe think I'm not worth anything to women or whatever I'm like fucking Joe Rogan's class and I listen to him now I'm like I can't even oh know God. I can't even put on a po- you know what you were saying earlier about how often people go to their relationship with their body when they they come to like wanting something to shift and change I see that with money too like it, mm. once I have this then I'll be okay you know that actually we promise that to ourselves that things will get better when we reach a certain point without working through and processing how we've experienced the world and becoming more self-aware understanding what our experience is day-to-day and understanding our history and it's really amazing that you're learning about this and then being able to open up with clients about these types of things and then maybe I think it's really cool to match different professions I don't think we, we do that enough like there's somatic therapy there's different types of therapy I'm really interested in somatic therapy I'm a person-centered therapist but I definitely have and we, that's a whole other podcast, but I have an interest in the body and somatic therapy is looking at your nervous system, looking at your body, looking at how movements bring up emotion. So I've trained as a yoga teacher as well, and I'm really interested in how... You've done so many things. I'm the, I'm the same, honestly. So many people, things. People ask me what like what you've done as jobs, and I'm like, where do I start, man? Youth work, working with the elderly, because I love old people and hearing their right. stories and all that. I don't like the systems, and that was just horrendous. But... Yeah, I I do think that PTs have to be really careful with what you're opening up in the body because if you're doing exercises, so we learn about that in yoga, that certain movements will begin to release trauma in the body. So that's why we get sore necks, that's why we get sore backs, we're holding tension. And so if you begin to work through that, whether it's massage or a squat or a deadlift, you can unlock pain in your body and it sounds woo-woo, but it's absolutely true. It's just like, it's our nervous system learn from our past experience or history mm. so if you're not aware of that and the person isn't aware of that then they begin to shame themselves like why am I feeling upset when I'm doing a squat but actually you're releasing pain like mm-hmm. your body is holding on to that it's a physiological experience as well as an emotional one so what were you talking about when you talked about your own clients and not reach so when I spoke to so I was having like flashbacks to stuff that happened in my childhood before I went to Paul, um, and where was I going with that? I fucking absolutely lost my train of thought. Yeah, so last year, maybe March or April, he made me like he pushed back quite a lot on, and it's so funny. See when he done it, see because I'm probably like you, I went and fucking googled like what he like, and 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 I liked everything Paul done. It's just like how you feel sometimes and like it's natural like therapy isn't just going to be like oh you go to therapy and you just like 
everything gets better. You're going to have ups and downs as you do. Maybe have to revisit things. Um, and I don't know enough about whether you do always have to revisit trauma or like how you navigate, maybe not re-traumatizing people and stuff. Um, but there was a bit where he sort of pushed back on, I would always defend some of my mum's actions, even though I don't go on my for anything, but he maybe pushed back just to like sort of make me think about it. But it gave me a whole new level of awareness, so like what I was doing and how I was treating the relationship. But then I had to experience like looking back at things differently and that was traumatising. But... I had an, I had like a month, but I was also overworked, like really overworked. So I was, I was burnt out at the same time. So I don't know if I was burnt out or I was a bit traumatized from what I was speaking about in therapy or both. Um, but that f- I was fucked for like a month. I couldn't do anything, and I didn't. I knew, I knew what it, the good thing is. I knew what it was, and I knew I'd be fine. And I just, I literally rested. I didn't try like take on any clients, and I. I did just rest, but like my friend, my friends were like, "Do you want to go camping and all that?" I'm like, "I actually can't. Like, I, I can't, can't do I it." Think that's a, I've always really said that, especially when I was doing my training. I wish we had like years out of healing. Mm-hmm. I don't think our like current world allows us enough space to heal and process because we're con- continually going back out in the world, and that's why I love outdoor therapy because although. If I'm doing online therapy, I always encourage clients to bookend their sessions. I call it bookend. It's like at the start and at the end, do things that nourish you. So, like, allow yourself to process what you've experienced, so that you're not. Going people to don't back. have time as well. They don't do have they? the time, so you have to kind of think about bookending. Do two hours if that's all you have. But like, my time in Orkney was like that time of like a way. I went back two summers in a row to live. And it was just like full on time to face things myself, but be in nature. And so like going back to long distance hiking, that connection that you get with yourself, the outcome of my thesis was that long distance hiking gives you connection with yourself, connection with nature and connection with the people you do it with. And all those things are important in healing. You have to have that time for yourself, but you also have to have relationships. Co-regulation is like one element that I was going to share with you that the, the relationship with a PT or the relationship with a therapist, it's so much more meaningful than exercising alone, especially at the start, or working through your trauma alone at the start. It's like having someone else to do that with in nature is really, really powerful. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but... I can't remember what my question was. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, like there's so many topics we could go on that that's no, I know we, there's um, so many tangents. We should maybe do it again. We'll pick one because no, but it's been good. Like loads of my podcasts are like this, like loads of them, and my own ones are mental, <laughs> like absolutely wild. Um, do you? So I deliberately like my business is eighty percent online with in person aspects. As I don't ever go fully online again. I use the online tools to like make the in-person experience like better i've still some clients are fully online but my podcast i will refuse to ever do one online and even like i want to do community things with my clients i do free sessions in person like how important do you think doing stuff in person is because i i just find online in terms of delivering online services the person delivering them that's why this whole like movement of like online coaching for PTs. I know so many PTs that are crippled with like 
loneliness and emptiness and developing like anxieties and social situations because of the job they're like the dream job that they're they've been chasing all of that time yeah um and it was like a big realization for me that like i, I need in-person stuff as a coach and for my clients the relationship on both sides yeah yeah and i think we can get comfortable with the online stuff like our bodies are like oh this feels kind of mm. comfy and but actually you're not meeting so many connecting needs that begin to have a toll on you over time so i I try and have like a, a balance between all of those things, but I'll never, um, it's all dependent on the client. So person-centered counselling is really meeting that person where they're at um, with the hope that we'll have outdoor or, or in-person sessions. So I, I work online, I work in a practice, like a room, and then outdoors. And um, it changes with the season. I also have realised, kind of talking about winter earlier on, that I want to fluctuate how I work and have like, for the first time in my life autonomy over how I choose to work so maybe at different seasons in my life I'll want to work more online if it's a if it's dark and cold because I travel so I work in Edinburgh and Stirling so sometimes I'm traveling for like two and a half hours to see a couple of clients it's it's draining on me especially when I want to keep up like I'm running a lot longer distances right now I'm training and so just the balance of all of those things whilst also knowing that something's not something's dim down when you're online I can't fully work on it but I use my hands a lot maybe I've not as much today because I feel I don't know I'm we're still getting to know each other but see if we were like really this would be shitting on zoom yeah this we would have a well well different your conversation is, you're only ahead and like you're not using your whole body to I, can, I can't get like excited about things yeah but like, I just can't feel the energy and the yeah so I can't it's not even in to do with the delay or anything. It's like you can feel when you have a connection with someone, you get on with them, mm -hmm. and you can't really get that on Zoom as much. Yeah. And it just ruins the conversation for me. Like, I just don't want to do it. And it's just, I'm sitting there the full time going, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. So, how can I have a engaging conversation with someone? Right. Not even the listeners, from the selfish it's point yourself. of view. Like, because that's a lot it's of this is selfish. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that really connects with the reason that I'm a counsellor and the, the type of counsellor I practice. It's about the relationship. So that's the fundamental thing. Like you have all the things that you learn and absorb and, and process, but you have to connect with the person that you're doing therapy with. That's number one. You have to be able to feel at ease and safe and comfortable with them and know that they're not going to judge you and that you just feel like they get you. That If you feel understood, that's like such a huge part of therapy. Like if someone really gets your experience. So... You get a sense of that quite early on when you're in person with someone because you get to like you're scientifically you match you're 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 actually connecting like um, from a physiological perspective. So you'll get an instant connection with someone and you'll know if if they're the right therapist for you and if I'm the right client for them. I think that's a really I always say that when I'm starting with new clients like let's get a feel. I never say to a client um, you need to decide right now. The first meeting, I offer like a free you book in six months. <laughs> yeah, no, like I say, take a day to think. How did I feel with that therapist? Did they just like, kept talking about our time in Orkney and never have expanded? <laughs> That's so true. That was your first question that you've not looked at at all. But I think that is the most important thing, and so you get a feel of that when you're in person with someone. Such a different experience online. Definitely, I, I, as a coach, I just can't connect with people as much online either and I just 
I just don't enjoy anything about like Zoom calls. I used to do client like Zoom calls with everyone on and just getting people to engage was like a chore, stressed me out. And I just now, I never come away from it feeling good. Yeah. Like the way you do after this or like the the hiking sort of podcast as well. There's one more thing that you dabbled on and we didn't go into that I would like to ask just as a selfish question. Yeah. How would how do you like navigate knowing there could be a potential experience that someone's had that's traumatized them to get them to work through that trauma without re-traumatizing them? Did I word that well enough? And can, see, before I answer that question, can I just say that something that I think's missing, and I would never have been fully aware of unless I I had this experience. Um, I studied with someone who had cerebral palsy, and seeing and, and hearing about her experience made me recognise the importance of online work. So there's lots of different experiences that made me realise that, but one of them most significantly is like there's so many people cut off from experience. And before the pandemic, there were so many people that got told they couldn't work from home. But actually, like the pandemic magically made everyone work from home and make that a possibility. So like I think financially as well, it makes it cheaper for people and more accessible. So yeah, it makes online reaching, coaching actually cheaper. We're yeah. probably reaching people that we would never have reached mm. if we didn't have like the, the possibility of online work. And so I just wanted to share I that. I find that's got really its important. own challenges as well. R- reaching people that wouldn't work in person with someone. Yeah, we're probably opening a can of worms with that last point. But no, I yeah, but I do. I speak about this with people all the time. I'm like, I probably have clients that are like, real or have have had that are way more socially anxious than I'm aware of. Stuff like that definitely yes. crops up because they're gonna go to online coaching more. So it's a whole different yeah. challenge as well. There are I, there are two different jobs in my line of work. We tr- we train differently. Mm. So there is like a different different risks involved. Different. You ca- it's hard to read people's full body language when you're in person mm. versus online, or the other way about. <laughs> I, have <laughs> like, <laughs> I have a client that is trans. Um, is kind of going from being on the phone to online to in person. So they see that journey for themselves but they would never have been able to start. And they made a really good point. I think lots of people in my life, not just the people I've worked with, that you're perceived more when you're in person. You can't hide. You can't hide, like, especially- I need to be on the ball. Yeah. Because you're talking about not judging people. So you need to constantly be like aware of your body language because something I'm aware of as well, like, we have different jobs, but there'll be so much similarities. So like, Clients are constantly watching how I react to something they say. Yeah. It's almost like they're leaving little nuggets of information and then like looking at you. And, and you do you have no idea about that when you're we are so unqualified. I'm getting all like a lot of my knowledge and PT and I I just don't even treat it as like personal training. I'm like that's my mode of helping someone. Like, it's through the exercise, that's what I know about. Um, but, like, you need to be able to navigate all the conversations because people are constantly, like, giving you wee bits of, like, yeah. stuff they have experienced and they're constantly, without them even knowing it, they're subconsciously watching if you're judging them. So, in person, you need to constantly be aware of your body language. I think it's so interesting that you took it in the way that your body language, because mm. I was meaning, 
the other thing, but you're absolutely right. I was meaning that clients are more aware of you seeing them. Oh yeah, like it's a really vulnerable thing. You've maybe you've got it differently because you see them moving their body. Yeah, yeah, you're so just like your client will be able to hide their emotions if I can't see them, and that leads on to your last question actually, because I think I could answer it in lots of different ways, but I think the the biggest thing that I've learned about myself through therapy, therapy is like the biggest journey of self awareness. That even if I wasn't a therapist at the end of it, I'm so glad I did it because you. You can't hide. You're in the spaces that you learn are like group circles where you're sharing for hours upon end. Like you can't hide your past experiences, your present feelings, like things that you thought didn't exist. You just, there's nowhere to hide. You're fully yourself. And so one of the things that I learned um, that I adapted to be really, really empathetic based on my childhood experiences from a really young age, the only thing that I would cry about is if other people were crying or could feel the tension. I could feel I'm really attuned with other people's emotions. And I didn't really know that. I just knew that I felt all the time. And so that led to Orkney, it led to the burnout. It led to I couldn't be in communication with someone without feeling and hearing and experiencing their whole history. Like people on the train, people on the bus, anyone I was working with, I was connecting with them in such an intense, intimate way really early on. Even if like, we only had 15 minutes together. And so that empathy I've learned to have boundaries with. Like I never used to, it just flew out of me. I used, like, yeah, I'm bad for like, People would laugh at me in the therapy training because it would just like, it was almost like I had no control to kind of like create boundaries around it. And so, and I always knew that I was in, in the point of potential burnout again. So I was like, how do I, I need to do that. If I want to be a sustainable therapist, I need to figure out how to get boundaries around my empathy. And I think that we can adapt from adverse childhood experiences in two extreme ways. We can be super empathetic or we can be super selfish. And that's when you see very narcissistic people who are very self-centered. That often comes from a, an adverse childhood where they've not been able to trust their surroundings. So only trust yourself. Self-reliance. The other side of that is get so aware of how other people feel around you that you're safe. Tune into them as much as you can. And that becomes like a real superpower. And I hate that word, but it's true. You really can feel energy. But if that's your only way of tuning in, it's so draining. It's So to answer your question, I use empathy and connection to feel someone's experience. <laughs> Without them talking about it. Gently. So like your breadcrumb analogy. It's like you experience the, the feeling in the room, you experience their dysregulation or regulation, where they're at, how safe they feel. You ask, you check in, are you feeling safe? What's going on in your body right now? Like, are you in a, what state And you've you got in? from experience with other people, you can see when they talk about yeah. X, Y, and, and Z. You can feel it. You can feel it in the room. Like there's been times where we've gently, like went into some pain. And they can juggle. Like yeah. I'm maybe an, uh, yeah. Let's let's maybe go for a walk. Like we've done that. We've done that. Like I've been mid through an in person session. What and stop them about to like because they're about to maybe think or about we're something. Maybe in it. We're maybe in dysregulation together because they've brought something up and they're really and go for a walk. We're like, okay, what would be good for you right now? Let's go for a walk. Let's. I don't know. I've worked with young people and we've had like play doh and like different things that are like moving certain parts of their body and drawing art, writing things down, like any kind of thing that is going on at the same time as you processing. I know it's kind of like a way, way, to, way to answer your question, but I think empathy and compassion and I don't think guys, you maybe like took a while to come round, but I, und I understand exactly what you mean. <laughs> I can't give one answer 
No, it's like, fine. It's just did we even did we end on Orkney or did we? I ah, we spoke about why you went. Yeah, and we spoke about the podcast. I guess it's like just sharing that if if you can in your life, try and trust that you can do solo things. I think so many women, especially when I was there and when I came back, were like, "How can you do that?" Different points in your life, you have a different relationship with risk. At that time in my life, going through like my first time of depression and stuff, I was numb to risk a wee bit. Yeah, so I'm I was my full eight, like from eighteen to like twenty five. I didn't care about risk. I was in the middle of nowhere in Orkney, just camping up my wee tent, taking pictures and all that. Like, I, I got a flight to Bangkok, not nothing booked or anything. I'd never been on a like above four hour flight or whatever. Didn't even know if like, they'd brought your bags onto the connecting flight and stuff. And I just fuck it. That was great. Yeah, do you think you would do that now? I wouldn't travel again, but I would like. You'd still I would like. Yeah, I would. Um, I've always been able to like move places and not give a fuck. Okay. Like on my own. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't scare me at all. There's something about though being a woman that changes your. Perception I understand of that. that, and that like that is a. It's different though because I think my relationship with risk has changed like some of the pl- like some of the places i can't by myself is i don't know if i could do i would i don't know if i could camp by myself that's a whole different and you hear i'm not very like pra- i'm not very practical okay. <laughs> struggle to even put the tent up i mean there was times i had to pe- take up my tent and leave because mm. i tried to re- go to the same place on an island called hoy that's like the windiest hilliest island ever mm. and i had to pack up my tent at like half two in the morning because it was like coming in on me i was at the side of a cliff and no. but i guess yeah just to share that if you can go away yourself and and see how you feel and especially in time and nature like uh, scotland scotland will so amazing there's so much to see the islands the it's highlands, only 40 like, minutes away so before much. you like hit the start of the most scene like i went up to oban uh last monday i take myself away for like two or three days well, I've, I've just I didn't start it as like I'm going to do this every year, but I've just been doing it where I book like an Airbnb and go away on my own. The other time I done it in a, a container in Stirling, and they like I was outside Stirling. They had like a border collie, container. uh, like li- yeah, literally like a industrial <laughs> container, but they converted it cool. and they had a like like gingery border collie, and I just spent two days with. I I like plan my work, but not actually do work. Yeah. So I like, just plan what I want to do for the next year. It makes me think about things. Without doing, because if I just sit in here, I'll just do the regular work. Um, yeah, and I had done it in Oban. Oban is beautiful as well. And you'll see what comes up ideas wise. Yeah, mad. Like, I, you don't. I I never at school thought I was a creative person. Now I'm like, ideas just were pouring out of me in Orkney. Like I've just journal. I've never read them back, but journals of. I wanted to start a seaweed business. Oh, read read your, read your journals back. I've got journals, man. I'll fucking read mine back and piss myself because I I'd write exactly what I'm thinking, and my, I'm always like taking the piss even in my own head. So I'll write back. Right. <laughs> I'd like uh, I had one that was I I journaled at New Year, and I was going to stop drinking last New Year, and uh, I was writing, and I'd had like three drinks or whatever, and I was like. I think I'm fucking, this next year's going to change my life, or I could just have had three pints. <laughs> That's the way I would like I'll read it back and I'll just piss myself. You're just your full self. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if I could read mine back. But oh, it's so freeing, like, to go away and see what comes up, right? To just Yeah. And just to connect, like, Scotland is so incredible. Scotland's like, amazing, honestly. It's hostels, wild camping. It's, as camp. soon as you hit Loch Lomond, 
that there's about like 200 300 miles of just the most amazing scenery ever I have like a bucket list to myself. I can go to all the islands I can in my life. Mm. So I've been going solo trips and and with my partner to different islands for yeah. like a long time now. Oh really? Every year it's like weird. So I'm going to Egg this year. Egg is amazing. Have you ever seen I, it? I don't know what Egg is. Just Google like the Isle of Egg. It's so good. <laughs> is that a place? <laughs> it's a place in, in Scotland. Scotland. There's so many islands around Scotland. I've only just found skies fairies like sky i was there last year did the have the wee fairies like only go like once a week and all that something oh, i've done every day to, to egg aye did it right yeah. okay I'll look, yeah. in, I'll look in there and then there's wee islands close by that you can take like wee day trips i was in mull have you if you've seen mull? i, I want to go mull i went on a, a i want to go trip. isla harris and lewis oh uh, yeah i did the hebridean way there it's good it's beaches really look, beach, beaches look amazing. amazing yeah right well we end it there we'll end there yeah Thank you very Where can people find Well I'll just put it in the description yeah, I hate all that rubbish right. Aye, like, I'll just put it in the description If people want to find you Or do therapy with you or whatever I'll tag your stuff below And thank you very much for coming on That was an, yeah. an erratic conversation I know. Do you think it made sense? Yeah, yeah. We eventually circle back to Artie We're fine okay. right, thank, thank you very much